Welcome to On the Road with Legal Talk Network. I'm Lawrence Coletti. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. We're recording from the Expo Hall floor of the ABA Tech Show 2020 in the city that works, which of course is another reference to Chicago, Illinois. And I have our good friend Jack Newton join us today. Welcome to the show, sir. Thanks for having me, Lawrence. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, I read your book. And that's what we're here to talk Thank about you for that. today. Yeah, no, I, uh, as I was uh, mentioning earlier, I got through 85% of it. I, I gave it like not just the college try. We had a long week. I gave it the graduate school try. Good. So, well, thank you for that. Yeah, it was 85%, good. 85%, that, that's... Uh, Let's round up. That's 100%. Yeah, it's above the mean, right? Is what, that above what matters the mean? is you, you like the 85% you read. I did. I really, I thought, uh, you know, in particular, the nice touch was bringing in the personal references. And for me, you know, just with my business background, like the, the factual stuff was great. But what helped me uh, remember and give it a little bit extra meaning was the names. You attach a name the stories, to a yeah. yeah. I think it makes it concrete, too. People can read, I think, something that is, you know, a great theoretical piece, but they want to know how to put it to work as well. So I think the great thing about the the book and one of the things I tried to make a really strong component of the book was mapping the theory to practice, not just what is a client-centered law firm, but what are some great examples of people doing this and how do you actually put some of the lessons in the book to work? Well, let's get into it. So the title of the book officially is The Client-Centered Law Firm, How to Succeed in an Experience driven world. So Jack, just for people that haven't read it yet, the 50,000 foot, what in general uh, in general terms is the book about? I'd say from the 30,000 foot view, what we're looking at is, I believe, a huge revolution in how people are expecting to interact with law firms and their experiences with other products and other service providers in their lives. And this includes consumer applications like Netflix, like Amazon, uh, like the, the various services that uh, are, are so frictionless in people's day-to-day lives, those are shifting the expectations that consumers have for law firms. And the book is all about how do we anticipate this sea change that's happening and how do we actually not only anticipate it, but take advantage of this shift that's happening to tap into entirely new parts of the legal market that have been, to this point, relatively untapped. And I believe there's a once in a lifetime opportunity that we're on the precipice of to embrace this client-centered viewpoint on how we build and develop our law firms. And if we do a good job of that, I, I believe we actually unlock huge opportunity to make our clients happier, to make ourselves as lawyers happier and more successful, and to do really profound work that helps bridge the the access to justice gap. So this is one of these win-win-win opportunities that I think is uh, a no-brainer for the legal profession. And, and uh, this book, more than anything, is uh, a rallying cry to see that opportunity uh, and to seize that opportunity for, for the readers that hopefully get inspired by its message. So those, uh, those five-star experience companies that you mentioned, so Uber, Netflix, Airbnb, and of course those are massive disruptors in their in their particular industries. And so one of the points you made early in the book was that it wasn't so much that they were taking someone else's share of the market, they were making that market bigger by addressing some of the dissatisfactions in the taxicab industry or the hotel industry or even the movie rental and streaming industry. That's right. 
And so, you know, just in, in lineup with that, you know, uh, just in today's market, why aren't consumers satisfied with legal services as they're delivered? So yeah, maybe I'll, I'll address both of those, those questions and observations. First, your, your point around the opportunity, and, and I think the instructive lesson we can learn from the Ubers uh, and the Netflixes of the world isn't so much that they killed their competitors that weren't able to figure out how to, how to keep up. Yes, Uber did hurt the taxi industry, and yes, Netflix did hurt and ultimately kill Blockbuster, but I think there was also a larger lesson in there to be learned. And the larger lesson is that Netflix and Uber have both respectively, Airbnb is also a great instructive example. These three companies have all made their markets larger than they've ever been. And Netflix is a business that is many times the size that Blockbuster was at its peak because it is selling to consumers that never had access to a Blockbuster store. Uber has obviously not just built a multi-billion dollar company in itself, but it's actually increased the amount of people using ride-sharing services, including taxis, because they've made it more viable for people not to have a car at all. Airbnb has likewise grown the total number of people that are staying in hotels and timeshare accommodations and has increased essentially travel worldwide as a whole thanks to making uh, vacation rentals more accessible than they've ever been through what I describe in the book as a, an effortless experience. And what I believe we're seeing is the consumerization of the legal industry where people are expecting those same frictionless experiences from their law firms. And to your second question around where do, where do law firms start falling short, it's right at the first interaction that they have or might have with a consumer. Let's look at a typical lawyer's website. Do they have embedded text messaging or chat services in their website that make intake in the medium that the, the, the consumer is using, which is the, the internet, available? No, most lawyer websites actually have a call to action to phone the law firm. So immediately you're asking the consumer to channel switch from their web browser to a phone call and many, many studies have shown this is an extremely high point of friction. If I'm browsing your website, I want to interact with you and see intake on your website. You telling me to use my phone as a phone, as logical as that might seem, is not what consumers want to do today, especially millennials who are already the largest purchasing generation on the planet. And they are your future consumer for a law firm and you need to be thinking about how they want to interact with you. And it's not by making a phone call. Now here's where things get even worse. When the consumer does make the phone call to your law firm, our legal trends report at Clio last year showed that the vast majority of law firms that are contacted will not actually get back to that consumer in a reasonable amount of time, that being less than 24 hours, and many law firms will not actually get back to the consumer at all. So the, the statistics around the responsiveness of law firms to inbound uh, leads essentially is devastatingly poor. The state of affairs in terms of how law firms treat consumers and treat leads, there are obviously, obviously exceptions to this rule, but as a whole, the state of affairs are really, really poor. Let's also look at the underlying business model of most law firms. The billable hour model, if you contrast it with what is client-centric, the billable model hour is, is actually a very lawyer-centered way of thinking about the world. 
it, it protects the lawyer's interests and it protects their time and it protects their profitability, but it is not at all what consumers want to see. What product would you want to purchase where you don't know what you're getting and you don't know what its price is? So I think we see great innovation happening in the legal space. I think a terrific example that is front of mind for me today because she was recognized by the James Keene Award at the Startup Alley competition last night is Erin Levine of Hello Divorce. And she has made divorces available to consumers for a flat fee of $1,500. And she's collectively saved consumers over $3 million in delivering this service. And when I talk about win, 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 these are consumers that may not have been able to afford a divorce and are trapped in relationships that they don't want to be in. These are consumers that would not have had access to justice if it wasn't for what Aaron's delivering. And Aaron, in, in the process of packaging and streamlining her product, she's thought in a very client-centered way about how do I deliver what people want? How do I do it in a cost-effective way? How do I realize as many economies of scale as possible? And one of the more remarkable things that she shared in her acceptance speech last night is that her lawyers that are working for her at Hello Divorce are more profitable, making more money doing this high volume transactional model uh, than they were doing $15,000 divorces in their previous jobs. So she's more successful, her lawyers are more successful, their clients are happier, and their clients are accessing legal services that they wouldn't have been able to before. So when I talk about in, in the book this concept of unlocking the latent legal market, of unlocking this huge opportunity, it's this really- This is that bigger pie this part. This is it, this is the bigger pie part. And this is where you realize that where Netflix, Uber, and Airbnb have succeeded, they've all disrupted their markets by offering services at a different price point with an effortless experience and that's one huge market share for them. And Aaron and other innovative lawyers, I think, have unbelievable opportunity to unlock that market opportunity in legal. And if you look at it through this lens, you realize that there's unbounded opportunity almost. And, and I think so much of the way that I hear many lawyers talk is thinking about the market as a fixed market, a zero-sum game where you win business and it's business that's being taken away from me it's, it's not a zero-sum game. There's this unbelievable latent legal market opportunity waiting to be unlocked by lawyers that can innovate and develop against that, that opportunity. And that's really at the, the heart of what the, the client-centered law firm is all about. Well, let's get to that because uh, you know the book. Uh, you're talking about some of the the lawyer-centric ways that lawyers do things, like the billable hour. But you know, early on uh, in the early chapters, you talked about the client-centered firm versus the client-first emphasis. Right. And so, uh, kind of contrasting those two points, you gave further, I guess, further meaning, further definition to what it means to be a, a client-centric firm. So let's talk about the difference between the two, because you know most people hear client first, they think that's the best way to be. Right. But in your book, you talked about why that's not the best way to be. Great question, and I, I do think it's a, a subtle but important differentiation. When I talk about, I think many many lawyers think that client first is an innately good way to think about how you're delivering your legal services. The problem I have with the concept of client first is by implication, something else is coming second and third and fourth. So maybe the lawyer's interest and the lawyer's livelihood, the lawyer's life work balance 
is third. Maybe how your partners are doing at the law firm is fourth or fifth. So I think the important thing in, in shifting this perspective from client first to client centered is that we acknowledge the fact that we can actually orbit everything that the law firm is doing around the client. And that's really the, the central metaphor here is the, the idea that the client rests at the center of your firm. You build outward from what the client needs, but it's not a client first viewpoint because nobody is losing in this process. In fact, everybody is winning in this process. To my earlier example of Aaron and this win-win-win concept, if we do client-centered design of law firms, we actually end up with a model that the client wins, the lawyer wins, and justice wins in that we're doing substantial work to bridge that access to justice gap when we take this client-centered approach. And the, the thinking that you do when you think about how do I wrap my law firm and my services around my ideal client is a completely different process than you would go through saying, how do I put my client first at every juncture? And I, I actually think the more powerful and the more impactful way of thinking is in this client-centered way. Before we get to the second part of the uh, the interview, which uh, what I wanted to do was highlight a couple of tools at the, at the end. So a self-evaluation tool to help lawyers get there and also a self-improvement tool, which you, uh, which you lay, laid out in your book uh, very nicely. Uh, let's talk about the five values of the client-centered experience. Sure. So the the book really talks about five central concepts in the, in the client-centered law firm, five values that uh, are really central to any law firm that is embracing the ideas in the book. So number one is to develop deep client empathy. And if there's, if there's almost one word that I want lawyers to learn as a new concept and to embrace as a concept, and I think uh, a word that lawyers don't really a word that lawyers don't attach too strongly in law school is this idea of empathy. And, and the, the concept literally, you know, from the, from the word's origins of you know, being able to place your mind in another's mind and really, you know, in a more accessible way, think about putting yourself in their shoes. That empathy is such a powerful concept if you're, if you're a lawyer. And I think what lawyers have a superpower to do is to take their experience in having seen dozens or hundreds or maybe thousands of other clients go through a similar journey to what your client is about to embark on and be a partner with them through that journey. And not to look at your legal work as a, a transactional part of their overall journey. So if you're a wills and estates lawyer, for example, this is thinking about your client not in terms of, I'm here to deliver a will to them and that's something, that's a transaction that I'm gonna get $1,000 for that will be the beginning and end of our my work with this client. But if you realize that what your client is looking for is peace of mind, that their kids will be taken care of, that their parents will be taken care of, that they're looking for that, that mental ease. And they're looking for that, by the way, not just right now, but they're looking for that for the next, for their entire lifetime. How do you engage with them in a deep and empathetic way uh, over that entire journey? So. This, this deep client empathy is, is value number one. Value number two is practicing attentiveness. And this is just realizing that there's so much about being a lawyer that ties in with, this ties in strongly with being empathetic, but being present and being in the moment when you're working with your clients, uh, listening very carefully, um, and, and realizing that there's so much 
value in, in those conversations and so much value to be extracted in terms of how you could be more empathetic, that that, that attentiveness uh, is, is really key. Generating ease with communication is the third value. And this is, this is acknowledging and recognizing what is your client's preferred mode of communication? How can you make it as effortless as possible for them to interact with you and to work with you? Uh, this is realizing that every client in your firm might have different expectations. Your 25-year-old client might expect to be able to text message you, and your 65-year-old client might still expect you to you know, visit their home to uh, walk through their, their needs. And being flexible and open to what your client's preferred modes of communications are. And by the way, asking them what those are. There's many lawyers that presume what their client's preferred modes of communication are and we showed this in last year's Legal Trends Report, there's actually a huge chasm between what lawyers' expectations of consumer expectations are and what consumers' actual expectations are. So that's really key. Number four is demanding effortless experiences across the board in terms of looking at every touch point that your, your firm has with your clients, anticipating where the points of friction will be and working tirelessly to reduce or minimize uh, that friction and to make effortless experiences across the entire client journey with your firm. My earlier example of preferring, for example, uh, a chat over a phone call might be the, the thing to make your, your services more effortless and easier to access from your website, for example. And finally, the, the fifth value is this idea that we're creating clients for life and your interactions with your clients are with a view to having a lifelong relationship with them where they come back to you with repeat business, where they refer you to their friends, where they view you as a partner and not just as somebody who's delivering a, a transaction and some value in a transaction. And uh, in the book, I also talk about this concept of a flywheel of growth and so much about the effortless experience is about this idea of creating a flywheel in your law firm that is able to create your future clients for you and able to, to generate growth and success for, for your law firm. And creating clients for life is a big part of building the momentum in your law firm's flywheel. Well, so uh, just for flywheel for people that are uh, maybe not as mechanically inclined, it's that uh, part of the motor block that keeps everything running on time. And, That's right. Uh, and, and you did a great job defining it. I, I can maybe harken back to some of my auto shop classes in high right. school. And I thought about that. You know, the flywheel is heavy. Jack's described this. It's a heavy wheel. It's hard to get going. But once you do, the value it adds is the consistency and then little things revving the engine up, you know, carry through and the timing carries through. And, and your whole point with connecting that analogy is that it's about these little things that you do over time that That's get right. this mechanism, this apparatus, your law practice firing and, and on I all the cylinders the, you want it to. The physical metaphor, I think, maps so well to what it feels like, I think, to build a successful law firm where getting that flywheel turning, because it is such a, a heavy object, takes a lot of energy and a lot of time. But once you get it going, it has this unstoppable momentum and for me, the things that feed the law firm flywheel of growth are things like repeat customers. They are things like referrals. They are things like clients that are so thrilled with your services that they go out and give you five-star reviews on Avo and uh, Google and other review sites. So if you can start building that flywheel and start building that momentum for your law firm, you do become unstoppable and you do start having clients lined up at your door 
uh, because of all this positive buzz and energy you've created around your law firm. And you know, the claim I make in the book that I think we've seen many real world examples of this, of this happening is that being client-centered is the most surefire way to get to that successful flywheel of growth. Well, let's get there. So this is the practical part. So I know we're running a, a little short on time here, but I do want to get to these two sure. tools. So the first one's a self-evaluation tool, and this is the client journey map in Sarah's divorce. And so I love I loved the example of that. And the second part of this is designing your client-centered law firm. You have to do the, the client map or the client journey map first. So let's start with that. So uh, Sarah's divorce, you, you propose this uh, fictitious client that comes in, she's got a divorce. And the one thing that she's the most concerned about is keeping her house. She wants her kids, very important for her kids to be in the same house they grow up in. She wants to keep the house, but it's not looking uh, practical. And right. so she wants to talk with the lawyer. So you walk us through her, all the different touch points where she's dealing with uh, this legal issue. And what I thought was really insightful is that a lot of that has nothing to do with the lawyer. It has to do with the process before, and it has to do with some of the you know, ancillary staff in between. And so you walk through just kind of this basic, uh, you know, this basic setup, kind of the, the typical is that you know, awareness first, you've got a problem. You, yeah. know, you start researching how I'm gonna deal with this problem. And then I'm gonna go in for a consult. I gotta talk to somebody, uh, somebody that knows more about this than I do. And then I've got a case or a matter that needs to be resolved. And eventually at some point, everything uh, goes according to plan. You know, uh, there's billing, you gotta pay the professional. And then the last part, of course, the review, referral, and retention side of that. So Jack, could you walk us through that hypo? I think that the highlighting that really opened up a lot of understanding for me because Sarah got her result. But what was interesting when you laid it all out is how dissatisfactory that whole process was, even though she got the result that she wanted. Right. So what the customer journey map and this example with Sarah is is so powerful, so powerful uh, as as a tool is to help you fully appreciate the broader context of the challenges your client is is dealing with, and to realize that as their lawyer you're in this unbelievable position as a trusted partner to help them guide th through this broader journey. And where most lawyers fall down is they, they really look to themselves as a transactional interaction with their, their clients. If you're coming to me to help with this divorce, I'm gonna draft your divorce papers, and that's gonna be the beginning and end of our, our engagement. But realizing that you've got clients like Sarah that are dealing with a whole constellation of challenges that you could be helpful with. You could be helping introduce them to, uh, to lenders. You could be introducing them to mortgage brokers that specialize in uh, divorces and clients that get divorced. You could be introducing them to banks that specialize in working with recently divorced couples. You could be looking at the whole constellation of challenges that they're facing. And this really comes back to this empathy concept. And not just be a great partner in the legal transaction, but be a great partner to help guide them through this whole journey. And that will imbue so much goodwill in, on their end uh, and help you deliver so much value above and beyond what, what might just be the, the simple transaction. So I know we're on radio and this is harder to visualize and there's, there's illustrations in the book to help support this, but the idea of a client journey map where you're able to understand all the steps that a client is going through in evaluating and selecting a law firm, but also understanding the broader context that they're navigating as they navigate their specific legal challenge. And I, I think one 
bit of asymmetry that exists that most lawyers don't really, I think, fully appreciate is the fact that you are bringing, as, as a lawyer that has done, again, dozens or hundreds or thousands of divorces, you're bringing an unbelievable experience and network to bear on this case, and your client on the other side of the table is going through this for the first time, or maybe the second or third time, but certainly not more than four or five times, even, even for a, a serial uh, divorcer. Like Liz Taylor? <laughs> like Liz Taylor. Uh, but, but understand that you've got this unbelievable experience to bring to bear, and, and I think that's where you could help clients like Sarah get to a successful conclusion but be viewed as a partner through that entire journey. Uh, and, and by the way, the, to that flywheel effect, when you partner with them in that way, when you also partner with those other service providers that are able to help them out, that will all have a halo effect that helps drive your, your law firm's flywheel of success. Yeah, and I like, uh, you know, I like how you laid this out in a, in a grid and went kind of step by step for each one of these sort of typical phases of representation. And, and, and the big takeaway for me on that is I saw, you're right, um, the service provided from one lawyer or another is commoditized. You know, you're still giving someone a divorce, but the, the thing that's being missed of those moments is opportunities to create real value in that experience. That's right. And so, I mean, it was great. I mean, you saw this uh, grid where, you know, you started talking about just hiring the lawyer and people not calling her back right away, eventually got it set up, but how much friction there was just setting up the appointment and yep. the bill thing. She had to write a check and she had a credit card she could pay now. That's right. You know, and then she's got to go find her checkbook. So all these little moments when this representation starts to create friction on an already stressful time, that's the value, that's that competitive advantage that lawyers should be looking for. A hundred percent. And you know, the reality is, and I, I make this point in the book as well, knowing how to draft the divorce agreement, doing a good job of that, that's actually the hard part of the job. That's what you went to law school, that's, what, that's why you went to law school, that's what you spent three years getting trained on. I think where lawyers are missing out is, is on this really low effort part of the equation. Being more attentive, being designing these effortless experiences, everything I talk about in, in the anecdote you just outlined, that's kind of low lift stuff. That's not the hard part of being a great lawyer. Figuring out how to accept credit cards is not hard. Uh, figuring out how to be more responsive to inbound requests is not, is not hard. This is all kind of the easy part of running a client-centered law firm that it doesn't need to be a boil the ocean lift and maybe that I'll, I'll make my, my kind of concluding remark is there are firms like, like Aaron Levine's that have done really dramatic reworking of how legal services are delivered. And I think that's on one end of the spectrum of what designing a client-centered law firm looks like. But there are a million low friction things that lawyers can do to uh, help become more client-centered. You can do it in a very incremental way. You can do one small thing every day and over time, you're going to become wildly more client-centered in the way you're delivering your legal services. And I think that's the opportunity that every law firm has without making a giant pivot in terms of its business model or how it acquires customers. Make these small improvements. Make these client-centered improvements. There's dozens, as you mentioned, outlined in the book that just help reduce friction, help, help increase engagement, and ultimately will help increase your clients repeat business to you, help increase their likelihood to recommend others to you, uh, and, and help build that unstoppable flywheel of growth for your law firm. 
So I know we're uh, just about out of time. So one last uh, sure. quick question here. So just to, just to cap it off, so this is the designing your client-centered law firm portion. So this is the self-improvement tool. So we've gone and done the analysis. So we've uh, evaluated the client experience by you know putting ourselves, empathizing, and putting ourselves in the shoes of the client and understanding what they're dealing with. So after you've identified that, after you've carved out your map and looked at these processes and steps along the way, uh, what I felt was pretty remarkable about this section was how easy it is if you're looking to find the information to start making those first steps towards designing that that uh, that client-centered firm. So you talked about talking with your staff, you talked yep. about talking with your clients. So can you walk us through just briefly that part and we'll close it out on that? So I, I think number one, and you know, lawyers are surprisingly uncomfortable in doing this, but talking to your clients and getting feedback from your clients on where you're doing well and where you could do better. I have, in several keynote speeches I've given, asked audience of, audiences of hundreds of lawyers if they know what Net Promoter Score stands for, and or if they know what NPS stands for, uh, which stands for Net Promoter Score, obviously, and if they if they use NPS in their law firm. And every time I ask that question, only one or two hands go up in an audience of of hundreds of people. And to me, that's really remarkable. And the feedback I get from lawyers is that it's almost uh, anathema to them to think that they would ask their clients for feedback on how they did. The, you know, the, the vulnerability that that creates, I think, in, in asking that question is something many lawyers are uncomfortable with, but know that you're never gonna get better if you don't ask that question. So talking to your clients and soliciting real honest feedback. Do a net promoter score at the end of every, every matter that you close and ask your client for feedback on how you did. Those reviews may be tough to read at the outset. And the especially informative part of that survey will be when you get net promoter score feedback, you get the raw score, but you also have the comment se section of asking, why did you give me this score? And that's where you'll find the, the gold nuggets that you can kind of iterate and, and build on in your, in your law firm. The other thing I would say is, is try really hard to observe your clients as they're moving through this customer journey that they're that they're going through just so you can gain empathy for them in terms of understanding their overall client journey and obviously this this depends heavily on every uh, practice area that you're in but if you're if you're a business lawyer working with with startup clients you know founders that are starting new companies ask if you can ha hang out in their office for a day and just understand what it's like to be in their shoes, understand the broader context, and understand areas you might be able to deliver value that you didn't anticipate. You know, make it clear, hey, I'm off the clock, but tell me, other than helping you close your Series A financing today, what other challenges are you facing? And maybe there's opportunities for you to engage with them and help them in ways that you haven't anticipated. So really, I think it boils down to understanding your clients, spending time with them, and taking the time to build that, uh, that awareness of what their broader context looks like. And that's the most powerful way to, to build the empathy I talk about in the book. And empathy is the, the secret weapon that you can use to transform your law firm into a, a client-centered law firm. And I, I would again reiterate that this doesn't need to be a, a boil-the-ocean approach. You can make incremental steps. The other thing I talk about in the implementation phase of becoming a client-centered law firm in the book is the idea that you can make just a lot of iterative improvements on a daily basis. It doesn't need to be one grand motion, but measure the impact of those changes. 
you're going to make a lot of mistakes along the way. You may hear from clients that they didn't like the thing that you deployed that aimed to make the experience more effortless and just be always be open to that continuous feedback loop. All right. Well, we've reached the end of the road for this episode. I want to thank our guest, Mr. Jack Newton, for joining us. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me, Lawrence. Now, our listeners, they've heard about your book, of course, titled The Client-Centered Law Firm, How to Succeed in an Experience-Driven World. How can they find that? So you can go to clientcenteredlawfirm.com and uh, you, can, you can buy the book right from our website. Uh, we have Kindle editions, paperback editions, uh, and soon uh, an audiobook version that will be available. Who's going to be the voice of Jack Newton in that? Sure. No, I mean, who's, is it going to oh. be, is it gonna be uh, uh, a celebrity? Can a celebrity read it? We, we did get a really great voice. Uh, James Earl Jones? Not James Earl Jones, but we did get a, his name's escaping me right now, but he's actually voiced a number of audiobooks. Uh, it's Randy Quaid. Of audiobooks. It's Randy not Quaid, Randy isn't Quaid. It? Uh, uh, it's definitely, I, I think it's a name that would be famous only in the audiobook world. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> Dennis you know, Hopper. No, he's listen, dead. Listen, that doesn't work. Listen, yeah, it's not Dennis Hopper. <laughs> It's got a silky smooth voice, though. Awesome, awesome. I'm looking forward to that. So, Jack, beyond the book, uh, is there an email or uh, social media way to reach you as well? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, feel free to reach me at jack at clio.com. I'm on Twitter at jack underscore Newton. And uh, if you've read the book and it's impacted your law firm, if it's changed the way that you're designing your legal services and delivering your legal services, let me know. Uh, those stories inspire me. Uh, we're going to be featuring firms that have been impacted by the client-centered law firm, uh, on our blog, on our podcast. So reach out. I want to hear the success stories and they really, uh, they're impactful for me to hear. All right. Well, thank you so much, sir, for joining Thanks, us. Lawrence. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please rate and review us in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or best yet, your favorite podcasting app. I'm Lawrence Coletti. Until next time, thank you for listening. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS, find us on Twitter and Facebook, or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Uh-huh.